Open your Bibles up to Genesis chapter 4. I'm going to read from Genesis 4, and then Norman's going to have a message for us this morning. And as you can see in Genesis 4, there's going to be quite a few names there that I may stumble through. Um, but we're going to get through that uh, story, and we'll hear the message from Genesis 4. And Adam... I'm sorry, verse, we're starting at verse 16. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And unto Enoch was born Arad, and Arad begat Mejuel, and Mejuel begat Methuselah, and Methuselah begat Lamech. And Lamech took unto him two wives, and the name of the one... And the name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other Zillah. And Ada bare Jabel, and he was the father of such as dwell in tents, and of such as have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all such as handle the harp and the organ. And Zula, she also bare Tubal Cain, an instructor of every artificer, in brass and iron. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Nabah. And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding, and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and she called him Seth. For God said unto for God said she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also, there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began, then began a men to call upon the name of the Lord. You may be seated. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I thought of these words, these verses in Second Peter 1, while... Glenn was having the devotional this morning, which I appreciated. Thank you, Glenn. We have been given all things that pertain unto life and godliness, as well as all those other things that Glenn mentioned in the book, that are mentioned in the book of Ephesians. The last time I preached here, I spoke about Enoch and how that he walked with God and how our walk with God could look like according to the book of Ephesians and in so doing we took a, just a little look at the times that Enoch lived and we noticed the contemporary of, Enoch, of Enoch's. Now the Bible says in the book of Jude when it talks about Enoch just a little bit that says that he was the seventh from Adam which we can see in chapter 5 of Genesis, where you have your Bibles open. He was the seventh from Adam, and 
We also notice in chapter 4 in the part that John read that Lamech was the seventh from Adam. So there's the contrast between Enoch and Lamech, both the seventh from Adam. So they were probably contemporaries and they were related, probably fifth cousins if my genealogy is right, and good chance that they knew each other. But their destinies were completely different. So I felt led to examine these times in a little bit more detail, noticing especially how similar these times were from ours today. And hopefully being able to learn and understand uh, just what God has for us and how we should do in the midst of these dangerous times when we often feel vulnerable, as certainly Enoch must have felt. Enoch and other godly people that were alive at that point. So we have these two lines, the one in chapter 4 and the one in chapter 5 of Genesis. And it was the Cain, the descendants of Cain that John read about. They were obviously, according to our text there in chapter 4, they were the successful ones. They were the creative line. They were the innovative people, Lamech and his sons especially, that the Bible highlights there. They were the ones that made their marks on the world and on the culture and of their day. They were the movers and the shakers. And also it's very clear that they had no fear of God before their eyes. That was certainly the case with Cain. Earlier in chapter 4, we just notice about Cain that he was an angry kind of a person. Verse 5 of chapter 4. 5 and 6. So, so angry and bitter that he murdered his brother. Verse 8. And then had the gall to lie about it to the one God, the one true God. And besides all that, verse 13, he was given to whining and saying that he is a victim and, and so on. That was Cain. Now, here's a number of generations later, and it seems like Lamech was also that kind of a fellow. We, we just notice a number of things there in those verses uh, 16 to 24. Ultimately, Enoch pleased God. Remember that verse in Hebrews 11.5? wonder if I can quote it right now. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And in the process of pleasing God, he won everything worth winning. At the same time that Lamech was losing everything in the eternal line. Lamech 
And that line, we're very concerned about the here and now and being, making their marks, being a success, not interested at all, but independent from God and not interested at all in the there and then. So Enoch, in spite of all the of what it looked like was the winner and Lamech was the loser. And so the title that I've chosen for the sermon today is Lamech the Loser. Enoch won everything worth winning. Lamech won lots of things in the here and now but lost the important things. Lamech the Loser. As we look at verses 20, 21 and 22 there in Genesis 4, We see um, lots of uh, secularly progression, lots of progressiveness, and lots of scientific and vocational advances. And I ask you the question here, verse 20, verse 21, verse 22, Lamech's sons and what they were specialized in. Was that all bad, those things that they were accomplishing? These men were using their brains, their creativity that God had blessed them with, their abilities. Um, was that all bad? The, the inventions and the innovations that they accomplished there in the fields of agriculture and nomadic lifestyle, verse 20, and that of music, verse 21, and that of metalworking and in verse 22, was that all bad? We agree, don't we? Um, we answer together, don't we? Aren't I right? That the answer is no. Those things are not all bad. But, but, isn't it also real and true in our lives, like it obviously was in theirs, that success in life, success can so easily breed arrogance and pride in our hearts. As we think about that, would you turn with me to Deuteronomy 8? Uh, and we'd just like to take the time to look at this passage. This is God speaking to the nation of Israel. In Deuteronomy 8, and we break in at verse 10. And as we're thinking about how that success can so easily in our human hearts contribute to arrogance and pride. Let's see what God himself says here. Deuteronomy 8, uh, if you will follow along as I read, beginning at verse 10. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. 
Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day, lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. And thou say in thine heart, My power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto thy fathers as it is this day. Wow. We could also look at other passages. I'm thinking about one in the New Testament, three verses in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. I'll let you do that on your own, perhaps. Maybe we won't look at that together just now. But the answer to the question about these prog progressiveness, uh, scientifically and secularly, uh, uh, in that day, 6,000 years ago, and way back at the dawn of human history, is that, no, not inherently bad, any of those things, but success can so easily lead to pride and arrogance and independence from God, and all of that, all of that is the the essence of what the Bible calls ungodliness, which is exactly that. Living and working and being without God. Not, not necessarily a bunch of wickedness, but just without God, which is the first step toward wickedness and evil, as we might see a little later. So, we've looked at verse 20, 21 and 22. Noticed all that was going on there. Let's look now about at, at verse 20. And I think that this text is a little bit like a sandwich in that 20, 21 and 22 are in the middle. Before that is, is a spiritually perverted situation, and then after that, in verse 23, we notice again a spiritual perversion. And as we look at verse 20, I would label this Lamech the lustful. And you see why I say that, do you not? He took two wives. This is the first record of bigamy in the Bible, and it's very possible that Lamech in his independence from God, in his arrogance, that he considered himself unfettered enough from God that he could do differently than what God had said. 
and that he could come up with a new plan, in this case a new morality, and introduce to other people a change, or in his eyes, an improvement on what God had said about one man, one woman for life. This was perhaps the original marital perversion. And it's also one in which the church really doesn't struggle with much today, does it? Bigamy. But there are two perversions, uh, marriage perversions, that are a struggle within the church of Christ. And those are homosexuality and divorce and remarriage. And I just, let's just be clear that any same-sex relations are against God's design and God's plan. And so anything like that will certainly incur the fearsome wrath of God. We understand that. We believe that. It doesn't matter whether that is legal. It's, it's not right. And as I think of that, I think of a man called T.D. Jakes, a pastor who back in 2012 was asked about that, I think, on TV. And I appreciate his courage in speaking on this subject. I certainly wouldn't endorse a lot of things, perhaps, that he says. But Mr. Jakes um, said... When asked about homosexuality, he said, and what he thinks about that, he said, and I quote, I'm not called to give my opinion. I'm called as a pastor to give the scriptural position on it. Doesn't mean that I have to agree with you to love you. I don't dislike anybody. I love everybody. I think that sex between two people of the same sex is condemned in the scriptures. And as long as it is condemned in the scriptures, I don't get to say what I think. I get to say what the Bible says. End of quote. So as we're thinking about marital perversion here, from thinking about verse 19, here in Genesis 4, what about divorce and remarriage, a burning issue in the church here, um, in the church at large? And I just ask you, as we think about divorce and remarriage, I ask you, what is not clear about Mark 10, 11, and 12? And we should probably turn there. Just to notice the words of Jesus when asked that question, what about divorce and remarriage? Jesus said... Mark 10, verses 11 and 12. And he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. We could turn to Luke 16, 18, where Jesus said, was asked... Oh, a comparable situation where Jesus answered in exactly the same way. 
But if we look at Matthew's rendering, it's a little bit different, isn't it? Both in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, as well as in Matthew 19, Jesus says the same thing, is recorded as saying the same thing as how it's recorded in Mark and Luke, except that he adds a phrase. And I read from Matthew 19.9. And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. So that extra phrase there, except it be for fornication. What about that exception clause, as it's often called? Except it be for fornication. Matthew is writing to the Jews. And he included that phrase that Jesus certainly uttered that day. And that phrase certainly refers to the betrothal aspect of Jewish marriage. And you know, you know about that betrothal. It's like our engagement, except it's stronger. And an example of that, of course, is Joseph and Mary. You had thought of that before I mentioned their names, right? Joseph could rightly, in God's sight, have divorced Mary in that betrothal time because if indeed Mary had, had, would have committed fornication in that time, he would have, as far as the law is concerned, uh, been supposed to divorce her, except it be for fornication. That's a Jewish thing. That, was, that could be a divorce before their actual marriage. That's a Jewish thing. That's why Mark and Luke don't include that exception phrase. How serious is adultery in God's sight? Well, you could look at Galatians 5, 19, and 20, and there's a whole list of sins, and adultery and fornication kind of head that up, but, but there's others, others, a long list, and, and God says, they that do those things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So, yes, this is serious in God's sight. And I think we would do well to maybe phrase like T.D. T. Jakes did on the issue of homosexuality. Maybe we should be saying those kind of things about divorce. I'm not called to give my opinion. I'm called to give the scriptural position on it. Doesn't mean I don't dislike you. Doesn't mean I, I don't love you. But divorce is condemned in the scripture, and as long as it is, I get to say what, I don't get to say what I think, I get to say what the Bible says. We turn from that. And I was interested to notice uh, this week that Frank Reed, in a blog that he does, had a young wife's testimony. And I thought that that could fit in very well here after, 
after we've been talking about marital perversion, to, to look on God's original design and how that that is at work yet even today. And so I just read this. Maybe it's a little bit lengthy. Uh, stick with me if you can. The testimony of several young wives. And I should say before I read this that there's one thing that I didn't like about what he said. And maybe you'll notice that. After I read this maybe we'll comment on that. Three girls, now young married ladies, shared this testimony. Their account was related to me by one of the young husbands. Here are their words. We thought that when you get married, things go well for a while, and then, start, then life starts going badly, and your husband gets demanding and is not always as faithful as you wish he would be. He is irresponsible and unkind and does not express love in healthy ways. Those were our, our expectations. Not so. What we have experienced is just the opposite. Married life has been beyond our imaginations. It is so wonderful. Our husbands are amazing. Life is so good. Each of us are best friends with our husband, and it just keeps getting better and better. We love it so much, and we love our husbands so much, and we feel so loved because we know that we are first in their lives. And then Mr. Reed goes on to say, these three young wives, comparing notes, found that what they were told is not what they got. Married life is more than they could have expected. They felt they were taking a huge risk to, to get married. Not so. They expected life to deteriorate after a few months or years. Not so. The lesson learned, there are good men in the world. Not many, but there are. What a testimony. Marriage is God's plan and purpose for many people. If you marry a godly person, no risk at all. Be a godly person and marry a godly person and life will be amazing. Does not mean there will be no problems, but if we accept each other unconditionally and love each other unconditionally all the time, marriage will be a very healing experience from any hurts we may bring and be a very blessed experience for both lives. Praise the Lord for the testimony of these three young wives. And we echo that, do we not? Thank God for that possibility that of marriage in God's plan. Not a perverted marriage as we see here in Genesis 4 by the loser Lamech. But marriage in God's plan and God's purpose and God's ideal. Now, did you notice the one phrase that I didn't like? He says that there are good men in the world, not many, but they are there. I didn't like that because from where I stand, from where I live, from where I, what I can see, I can see a lot of those kind of men right here. And I thank God for you. So we've talked about the perversions in verse 19, marital perversions. Let's go now to verses 23 and 24. And notice a spiritual perversion there as well. And here we see, if in verse 19 we see the lust, Lamech the lustful, in verse 23 and 24, we see Lamech, the lawless one. 
And to me, it just oozes out everywhere in that poem that he composed and boastfully said to his two wives. It just oozes out everywhere, boastfulness and brashness and bragging and a brazen spirit and maybe some other B words there. Here was Lamech, not, not only lustful, verse 19, but also very lawless, verse 23 and 24. Speaking down at others um, because of alleged um, hurts and spites. And, but especially what he was doing, do you see it in verse 24, was speaking down at the God of heaven and earth. If Cain shall be avenged seventyfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold referring back to his forefather Cain and what God had said about him in Genesis 4. It's clear to me, I wonder if it's as clear to you, that Cain and his great-great-great-grandfather, that Lamech and his great-great-great-grandfather Cain were resourceful and able and Resolute in a lot of good ways, but they had no fear of God before their eyes. And I just think about a man, as I think of Lamech and his lawlessness and his arrogance, shown so e easily and well in verses 23 and 24, I think of a man called G. Gordon Liddy. And if you're my age or older, you might remember him from back in the 1970s. He was, Mr. Liddy was one of those that was involved in the breaking in of the Democratic National Headquarters in 1971. Before the 1972 elections, he was one of the instigators there and served a jail sentence because of it. After he got out, he wrote a book. And I understand that in that book, he wrote this quote. Mr. Liddy said, I have found within myself all I need. I have found within myself all I need and all I ever shall need. I am a man of great faith, but my faith is in George Gordon Liddy. I have never failed me. And we recoil at that kind of attitude, don't we? Such arrogance and such foolishness. But then again, if you're like me, I need to search the crevices of my heart, of my being, and just see if there's any such little attitude lurking there. Mr. Liddy is still living from what I understand. He's 89 years old and he will soon find out how wrong he was and what a loser he is and will be. How clear is it to you that we are living in Lamech times? How clear is it to you that we are living in lawless times. I'm thinking now not so much about lawlessness in our own hearts as lawlessness in the 
culture and in, our, in the community all around. There's riots in lots of places. There's unrest in Lancaster, if not riots. And just this year, 2020, we heard about the death of Sasha Krauss. And we heard about the dis disappearance of Linda Stolzfus. And just this last week, you may have heard about Jonathan and Wilma Hostetler and how they were held up in the middle of the night in Indianapolis and were both shot. She was shot dead and he shot very, or might be surviving. Those are people from our, they're our people. They're Mennonite, from the Mennonite Amish community. And I'm also thinking about a man named Jordan Stevens, who last Sunday, I understand from the news, <clears throat> was on his way to church. I think he was 23 years old. He was on his way to church with his wife, who was pregnant with their first child. And they were rear-ended, designedly so, they found out. And when they got out, to talk with the person that had caused the ambulance. He took them hostage at gunpoint and held them for several hours. And at one point, he shot Mr. Stevens dead. So we're living in lawless times. Now, there's always been lawlessness. And yet it seems to me that, that we would do well to prepare for continuing and growing lawlessness in our land and, and even in our communities and perhaps in our experience. And how shall we prepare for that? How shall we respond to the Lamex among us with which we might come into contact? There's just a better chance that there will be a Lamex that you meet and need to deal with than there would have been, I'm thinking, 25 or 50 years ago. There are, what about the Lamex among us? Well, the Bible has answers about that kind of thing. The Bible is not taken by surprise that times are getting worse and worse. Um, there's a verse in John 15, 13, and again, the question is, how do we prepare? In, verse, in John 15, 13, Jesus said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. I just told you about Jordan Stevens and his wife. Um, his, his wife says that, who survived the ordeal, says that while they were taken hostage, while they were... Yeah, while they were hostages, Mr. Stevens pled with their captor to spare his wife and their unborn child and said, take me. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And we might, as especially as men, as fathers, as husbands, we might have a chance, as Mr. Stevens did, to get to heaven faster by loving them, loving our wife and loving our family and being willing to lay down our life for them. 
or for others of those that we love could happen. I, I remember that Paul said in Acts 20, we had that in our Sunday school lesson not too long ago. Um, none of these, ooh, let's see if I can find it real fast. Acts 20, verse 24. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the minute... And we'll stop there. So that I might finish my course with joy. None of these things move me. So let's, by God's grace, be willing to do that. Lay down our life for our friends if God calls us to that. If God calls us to that, we will be the winner. Thank God for victory in Jesus. Well, there's... I, I submit that there's other things that we should prepare for and respond to the Lamex that are lurking out there. And I'd like if you would turn with me to Romans 12 as we think about people, the Lamex, the arrogant ones, the angry ones. Romans 12, breaking in at verse 18 and reading a number of verses there. These are verses are familiar to you. Good chance that they are. But let's hear them again. If at all possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. As I think, uh, and there are, we could turn to 1 Peter 2, verses 20 to 23, um, where Peter talks about um, following in Jesus' steps. And as, as I think of that, of returning evil for good, returning evil for good, that's what we are called to, and that's what God gives us grace to do. I think of Dirk Willems, uh, who you may have heard of. Dirk Willems. That was back in the 1500s. He was born, and I'm reading from an article that I, uh, that I found. Dirk was born in Rotterdam in the Netherlands. History records that he was rebaptized upon confession of faith at the age of 15. And the words of the judge who sentenced Dirk for burning at the stake condemned Dirk for ha as having at divers hours harbored at a, at a, and admitted secret conventicles and prohibited doctrines, all of which are contrary to our holy Christian faith and to the decrees of his royal majesty and ought not to be tolerated but, but severely punished for an example to others. His life stands as a monument to the teaching and example of his Lord and Master. 
Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Dirk had been apprehended, tried, and convicted as an Anabaptist. He escaped from a residential palace prison by letting himself out of a window with a rope made of knotted rags dropping onto the ice that covered the castle moat outside. Seeing him escape, a palace guard pursued him as he fled. Dirk's weight had been reduced by the short prison rations. He crossed the thin ice of a pond safely, but his heavier pursuer broke through. Hearing his pursuer's cry for help and perceiving his life in danger, Dirk turned back and rescued him. The man wanted to let him go, but the burgomaster on the opposite side very sternly called to him to honor his oath. Dirk was seized and returned to prison. He, soon after that, he was condemned and executed. And I just read one more paragraph from this article. What Dirk did on that icy pond was reflexive and intuitive, not logical. Dirk did not have to stop and consider whether it was right or wrong, nor what the consequences. He simply did what his faith compelled him to do. So do all those who follow the same sacrificial footprints of the Lord Jesus. Having thought about all that, let's just think again a little bit. We noticed verses 20 through 22, the progressiveness of the day. We noticed Lamech, the lustful, in verse 19 with that marriage perversion. And we noticed Lamech, the lawless one, in verses 23 and 24, and tried to make applications for our day. Amazing how our days seem to be like those days were. Now, in closing, he was the loser. Lamech, the loser. Unless, of course, he repented that we don't know about. It's a Lamech world that we're living in. But it is so possible... Because of the things that God has gifted us, as Glenn said earlier today, it's still so possible to live an Enoch life, a righteous life that pleases God in the midst of this Lamech world. And so I just asked the question real quick-like before we kneel together in prayer. Are you living that, that Enoch life in this Lamech world? And I ask myself the question, am I living that Enoch life in the middle of a Lamech world? Will you kneel in prayer? Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. I thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, redemption, and lots of other spiritual 
blessings in heavenly places, some of which we appreciate, and more, I think, Lord, Heavenly Father, that we aren't even noticing. Thank you that there can be victory in Jesus. Thank you that even in the midst of a Lamech world, the world that we're living in, that, that you are calling us to an Enoch life of pleasing God and walking with you and providing the power and the grace to do that. And Lord, our Heavenly Father, as we kneel before you here, I pray, Lord, that for all of us, where there's areas and seeds in our hearts of Lamech, of lustfulness or lawfulness, lawlessness, Heavenly Father, that you would faithfully show us those and that we, by your grace, could repent all over again and that we can grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior as, as you purify us, as we respond to your purification efforts that indeed we can grow together as a church and as families and as individuals all for your glory and until you call us home. In Jesus' name, amen.